Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here to provide a quick intro of sorts because we did something a little different today for our post-match following Everton's 0-1 loss to Manchester City at Goodison Park. We have a two-part episode. The first piece is a quick interview with Bridget Bryson of the Atlanta Evertonians talking about the Everton Stakeholder Steering Group, which is a group that is representing the fan base as a whole uh, in their efforts to instill fan representation at the board level of the club. So we spoke with Bridget about a survey that we want you to all take regarding just soliciting feedback for the group as they engage in conversations deciding how this fan representation will look as it develops and we get a really good insight into how the process has worked thus far as well as next steps so definitely check that out and then we did uh, a twitter space alex and i hopped on following the match we talked with a bunch of fans who gave their takes on the mat it's a little bit of a different post match so let us know what you think of it if you enjoyed it as always, as a reminder, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review on your platform of choice. You can find all the links to our show and social media in the description, as well as the link to the survey. And we put timestamps in there so you can jump around if needed. And without further delay, into the intro. for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. All right, everybody. We are now joined by Bridget Bryson of the Atlanta Evertonians. We're going to talk a little bit about the Everton Stakeholder Steering Group and fan engagement uh, with the club as a whole. Bridget, thanks very much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you. Would you mind uh, just starting by, I guess, giving us a little bit of background um, in terms of what led, we're going to be talking about the survey. So I know there's been a lot of efforts made by the club in recent months in terms of fan engagement. So could you maybe just talk a little bit about your involvement in that process and maybe your perspective as well? Sure, absolutely. So we all remember the uh, um, Super 6 uh, shenanigans. And uh, so, you know, as a response to that, we had the the Tracy Crouch, all that, that stuff going on. And the club did a lot of surveying and workshopping and kind of looking for what, what we wanted as fans, um, as did all the clubs across the Premier League. And one of the things that came out of this was, you know, we, we want that voice. We want to be heard um, and and Everton recognized that. So they actually uh, approached the, the fans forum um, to sort of do some outreach, which they did. I am part of the sort of U.S. North American group um, led by the amazing Tony Sampson. And so I was part of all those initial conversations and discussions and, and what have you. And as the fans forum started getting all this information, taking all this, they, they presented it. And I wasn't a part of, of that, uh, presented it to Denise. And she kind of came back to them and said, hey, I want you to go into this deeper. I want you to look into maybe developing something, surveying the fans and so on and so forth. And the fans forum, they're a fantastic organization. And I, I, I know they come in for some criticism sometimes, but when you see what they do, it, it strikes me as a little unfair at times. Um, but they were like, this is beyond us. 
we we need to go out we need to form a group form a committee um of stakeholders and really make sure that everyone's voices are heard so in order to do that they reached out to groups that are very representative of many evertonians so instead of a bunch of individuals who make might care deeply and passionately about the club they reached out to groups of people who were going to be representatives so for example edsa the disabled supporters association um as well as the fans forum themselves of course uh the official supporters groups um the uh heritage society i'm going to make sure i don't miss anyone the fan supporters organizations and they also got representations from asia from uh Europe and from North America and how I became that person representing an entire continent well I said I would do it that's pretty much how I got picked um basically you know on our group uh we we discussed we had a workshop to discuss it and it was sort of put to the room who would like to represent us and um after a beat or two of silence I said sure i'd be happy to do that um and and it's it's been a an amazing experience first of all being on a committee with such passionate evertonians uh such a a really you know sort of diverse group of of people ages um variety of needs and priorities and even just the fact that we all agreed was quite something to me and you know one of the criticisms of the group early on was sort of lack of speedy communication as to what we were doing and the problem was we weren't 11 individuals with an agenda we were people who were literally going out discussing and coming back to our groups getting feedback coming back to the group discussing going back to our group you know so even though obviously i would have opinions at our meetings i was always very cognizant i wasn't representing bridget and so it was very important for me whether it was to just go on our whatsapp group or whether it was literally at sort of our monthly uh leader calls um and then how each individual leader from the different north american supporters groups interacted with their own group that was up to them you know i would just listen to the leadership group and i would take that back So basically we've been discussing for a long time and we ended up coming up to the club with two proposals. And that was kind of the silent period was where we were trying to come up with proposals to go to the club. And then we met with the club and offered up these two proposals. Uh one was to have a fan advisory board and one was to have fan directors on the board. Sort of two separate things because we wanted to make sure at a minimum we got the fan advisory board with a voice and then we've kind of got that potential um the club is fully behind this and the club basically you know i, I remember our first meeting and before we kind of right at the beginning and denise was like you know you need to think about all of these things um there's a there's a charter everton have rules we can't compete you know we can't do things they're not allowed to do that that there are regulations and so as we put all this stuff together um we put them as two separate entities and the club has come back to us and said that they agree with the fans voice in the boardroom they are supporting of this so the ESSG has always been an interim group 
we are representing our groups as an interim group to put a sort of terms of reference together. By the way, I'd never really heard of that term before I was part of this, but now I can sound professional to put a term of reference together to say what the makeup of this fan advisory board was. But again, we don't want that to be our decision because it's not about Bridget Bryson. It's about what Everton fans want, which leads us to this survey that we've had out there for a couple of weeks. We've only got two days more uh, where we're trying to get fans voices to come back and say, this is who we think should be on the fan advisory board because there's very different ways to do this. Um, and the, the clubs that have already sort of got boards in place, they all have different makeups and you've got groups like if I look at our best friends and neighbors, <clears throat> um, they, they are totally, they're all reserved positions. They are, uh, the big group, Spurt of Shankly. They have, I think, 10 out of the 16 positions are from Spurt of Shankly. So it's, it's very biased towards that. I want to use the word bias, but biased towards that one group. So what we're offering to fans is the opportunity to decide the two big extremes or somewhere in the middle. The extremes are we have uh, 11 positions that are reserved. So, for example, EDSA gets a position, Fans Forum gets a position, the shareholders get a position. Or the opposite extreme is 11 individuals who are voted and elected. Or do we go somewhere in between? And, and those are kind of the main options we're looking at. And when you think about it, it, it's not as easy decision as it sounds because a lot of people say, hey, I'm an individual fan. I don't belong to a group. I should have the right to have my voice heard in the boardroom. And I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But then on the other hand, you say, yeah, but you're one person. So, so what happens if your life changes? What happens if you're not really representative? What happens if you have a personal agenda for whatever reason um, as compared to someone who is – uh, chosen from a group, you know, let's say the Disabled Supporters Association, for example, let's say they have a reserve position, they meet as an entity, they choose an individual. Should that individual ever leave that entity, then they're no longer on the fan advisory board and the Disabled Association gets to pick a, a new person. So that's one of the massive choices we have on the survey. And then another choice we have on the survey, it's a practical things, like how often should they meet? Uh, how often should they meet with Everton? Uh, and then what are the matters that they should be, um, what should be the priorities for the fan advisory board? Because this would be at a strategic level. What we have right now is mostly operational with the fans forum. This is an opportunity to be heard at the strategic level. And I just threw an awful lot out there. So what questions do you have? <laughs> sure. So, I mean, I, I have some initial thoughts. One is... It's very encouraging to hear, you know, the, the A, amount of work that's been going in from all the fans and B, the level of um, support that this has within the club hierarchy. And it should come as no surprise, a club like Everton, the People's Club, uh, aptly named, is trying their best to go about this in the right way. Um, right. Some other clubs, you know, you take the example of the stadium where there was endless consultation, um, making sure that they got it right. And it seems like they're taking the same approach here. And you mentioned, you know, some of the frustration maybe by the lack of communication. I mean, this stuff isn't easy. You're building 
um, groups. You're trying to build consensus among people who have, you know, differing views and the Everton fan base is incredibly diverse. We've got people all over the world with different perspectives, different voices, and we all have this common thing that we all deeply love. Um, but it doesn't always mean that we're going to agree on what we think is the best, best path forward. So that's why it's good to have this sort of democratic approach to everything. And I appreciate you giving the very thorough background <laughs> um, and would encourage everyone out there listening to this. As you mentioned, it's recording this Saturday afternoon uh, around 5 p.m. Does the survey close on Monday? Uh, the, yes, the 28th. Um, and okay. I, I think... I, yeah, I think it's key because, you know, I, I sort of, I felt bad the other day. I was listening to to one of the, the Twitter spaces and there was some people from the 27 campaign. And I think that, you know, everyone who, we all have the same goal, right? We, we all just want Everton to be great. We all want to find a way through. And I've, I've had some, some conversations with some, some people in the 27 campaign and, and whether we want to go through the same, um, whether we see the same route or not, that may be where it's different, but we have kind of those same goals and intensity. And anyway, this, this individual was sort of getting berated, if you like, by the Twitterati for a lack of communication at a certain time. And sometimes it's not easy to communicate because quite frankly, there's nothing to communicate. What's going on is such a deep discussion that we, you, there's nothing to say. Um, and so that, that was kind of a very difficult patch when we first, um, got the Twitter. <laughs> I had the fortunate, one of the fortunate jobs as being part of the communication group and responding to some of the tweets. And that, well, as you know, that was just a joyful experience when there was a lot of sort of negativity. And, but we kind of rode that storm, I feel. And because I, I am, Again, I told you before before we recorded, um, Tony calls me the most optimistic Evertonian he's ever met. In my state of optimism, I do believe that if you're honest and you have the best intentions, eventually that'll come through. And I, everyone in this group is really passionate about this. And we are looking at it from a strategic perspective and we are trying to do things in a different way in that we're taking the role of working with the club. Not everyone's going to agree with that. Not everyone sees that as the way to go because of the way they feel. But that's the way that this particular entity is is looking at things. And, um, and the club has been very supportive of that. One of the problems we've had with getting the survey out to people is because when it was emailed out, because we created the survey and not Everton, Everton emailed it for us so that we could get the reach that we can't get on our own without becoming a public entity, which we're not going to do for an interim group. So Everton e emailed it for us. Because of that, it went down as a third party communication. Many of us, myself included, checked all the boxes that said communication from Everton. And so we get all the Everton emails, you know, when Denise emails us personally, those kind of emails, we get all of those, but we don't get the third party ones because we didn't check that because we don't want socios emailing us. We don't want so-and-so. So a lot of people didn't get the survey. And so because of that, if people didn't, they need to follow the instructions, which is to go to the, the contact us with Everton, uh, put in the, the member number, you put ESSG as the ESSG survey as the subject line, and then they will get that sent to them. But they need to do that like today. 
because it takes about 12 hours for that survey to come back to you. And every survey is individualized to ensure that it is legitimately and genuinely an Everton fan who is responding. And we'll definitely put sort of those steps uh, in the description of the episode as well, if you didn't follow along, but yeah, encourage sorry. everyone, no, it's okay. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, it's, it, it is a little bit of a task to go in. It's not incredibly straightforward, but I think it's a very worthwhile cause and, and extremely important um, to the future of Everton. You know, the engagement with fans, we've seen the incredible strides that have been made in terms of engagement with us as North American supporters groups um, and, and foreign fans, as well as the level of, you know, resolve and commitment to really hear the fans out on various issues. And I think though people may not agree tactically with how some of this has gone down or some of the approaches, I think you hit, hit it right on the head, Bridget, when you said everyone has the same end goal and that they want to see Everton be great. We may not have the same methods, but I think, in the end, that's what we all want. And if we can unite around that common goal, it can only lead to positive things as long as, as you mentioned, everyone has good intentions. So like I said, we will put the description or the steps uh, to get to the survey in the description of the episode if you want to check that out. Um, Alex, do you have any thoughts, I guess, as your perspective as an American Evertonian <laughs> in terms of fan involvement, anything you want to add here? Yeah, no, just a, a thanks to Bridget and team. Um, obviously, really love uh, the work that you guys do uh, with the fans forum, and <clears throat> obviously all of the the groups that end up spouting off of it f for uh, various efforts. Um, I know I speak, uh, I can speak for myself, James, and Ryan in saying that uh, one of our favorite things to do is uh, support you guys and help get the word out, but also you know connect our listeners to resources like that because you know as we've said, you know it can come down to one simple thing, and this is a very rare opportunity for um, you to get your your voice heard about something. Um, extremely important for the future. And I know, I know if you're an American toffee, you feel very, very compelled to hear your voice heard because it's it's very hard to feel vindicated sometimes over here across the pond. Um, so just want to say again, uh, thanks, Bridget. Thanks, uh, everyone else. Tony, obviously, um, we appreciate it and enjoy it. And we're obviously going to have the link, as James said. I, I think it's just so amazing that the club is embracing because I mean, you know, I always felt a little isolated and, and to be able to find my Everton community again, um, as someone who now lives over here has been amazing. And to be a part of this group, I mean, I, I, I quite frankly feel incredibly proud to have had this opportunity to, to represent North American uh, toffees and have taken it very seriously. One thing that I know has been a confusion for some of our American fans is you do have to be, you do have to be like a member, right? So uh, international membership, you have to be an Everton member in order to be able to take this survey. Because I know we've had paid up members of Atlanta Evertonians who said, I don't have a member number because, you know, we don't have member numbers in Atlanta Evertonians. Um, and so it's like, well, you have to have a member number. And that, that is something that people need to be aware of. If you don't have one now, make sure you get it before you get to actually vote, because that'll be the next step is voting on on people, assuming there's some independent um, options there that people will be able to elect. Yeah, it's very similar to um, the vote. I recall vividly uh, when Tony was looking to be involved yeah. in the fans forum. It's the same process. You have to have your member number, all that sort of stuff. So unless you keep it on like a post-it note pinned to your, you know, computer monitor, you may have to go dig that up. Um, but definitely do so because this is so very important. It's our opportunity to really make our voices heard at the highest levels of the club. And I know 
all of you out there have a lot that you think about and a lot to add. So I hope that everyone who's listening to this will go and do that as I will be doing shortly following this recording. Good. Excellent. Everyone <laughs> just needs to have their voices heard. There is even a box there for comments. Um, so, and we, I mean, we've had some people who actually literally <laughs> written like an essay, um, which is actually fantastic. I mean, because it, it's, it's sometimes you just don't know how to have your voice heard and, and we are going to be reading every single one of them. We are going to be taking this. We, we take this very seriously. We're volunteers and, and we do this because we love our club and this is our, Again, that's why it's a third-party communication. This is our survey, and it's something that we're taking very seriously and uh, really want the, the, the fans' voices beyond our own groups to, to be able to do the best thing we can for, for our club. Absolutely. And the famous saying goes, football's nothing without the fans. I think in a season like Everton have had, the fans have been one of the few truly bright spots, the way the community has come together in times of hardship and pain that this club sometimes <laughs> brings upon us. Um, but again, Bridget, really appreciate your time coming on and promoting this. One last time, everyone listening, go take the survey, check the description for the steps to find it and do that before pause the episode, because we're about to get into the next segment, which is the man city post-match reaction. Um, pause it, go do that. And then once you're done, you can then proceed and listen to everyone's takes on the match. But again, big thanks to Bridget. Appreciate everyone out there for taking the survey and uh, let's move on to the next piece. Uh, let's, let's kick things off here and just go instant match reaction over to you. Yeah. I mean, I thought, uh, I thought it was a really good performance in, in total. Um, I was glad we saw like Decore come back and had a three man midfield. And I thought that Decore, I mean, I thought honestly all three of the midfielders were, were quite good and it looked like you know we were able to play them to their strengths more if that makes sense um the team press like looks really really good especially in the first half before we retired um and i i, I honestly don't think like everton fans can ask for uh, a whole lot more from you know if we're talking about what we would have considered a good result let's say 24 hours ago shoot three hours ago yeah what about you to- yeah no i agree i mean i Every time we play Man City, I go in just expecting an absolute demolition because they just do that so often to teams. And I, I, as much of an optimist as I am, it's it's hard when you're running against a team that good. But and then you get to halftime and it's level, and you're like, okay, maybe maybe we can eat out a result. And then you know, John Joe Kenny gets the chance. We had a couple other chances. It just feels like okay, maybe this is the time we you know eke one out at Goodison Park, but was not to be, and, and like I just said, you know, when they're just attacking, attacking, they have the ball the entire time, and we're just hoofing it out, hoofing it out. It just feels like, you know, trying to fight the ocean tide. You just can't do it. It's just eventually going to overwhelm you. But I, I agree with the midfield. I mean, I thought is long overdue for us to see a three-man midfield. We finally see it. We finally get Decore back, and we really have the personnel to be able to play that. And I think, you know, that seemed like, seems like the way forward to me, uh, assuming all those guys are healthy. I know Alon, you know, went down at towards the end of the first half, seemed like he might be hurt, but then he carried on, but he was kind of, you know, <laughs> holding his leg and, and squatting as the commentators uh, observed. So hopefully, you know, no, we escape with no injuries, but it's just demoralizing when 
really, especially the first half, they didn't have a sniff. And then we just kind of put our tail between our legs and, and seemed like the entire second half we were playing for the nil-nil. And I thought there was an opportunity to maybe maybe get one past them. And, you know, then you sort of shore things up and, and look to, to see out the result. Well, that and, you know, I think a lot of people, we expected that this was going to be the, ba- be the match that we've seen, like, Dominic Calvert-Lewin closer to 100%. And then next thing you know, you hear that he's out for 10 days and he's not participating at all. And I, I, I greatly feel like that, you know, that impedes our ability to perform. And so performance without him, compared to what we thought, you know, who we thought we could have had available was also a huge factor, too. Yeah, that, no, that's a really good point. I mean, I think... It'd be interesting to see what the team would have been had DCL been healthy. Because, like, do you, you probably drop a Wobi, but I thought he was actually pretty solid today for the most part until he was just – both him and Gordon played for, like, 20 minutes after it was obvious that they were absolutely gassed. And uh, I think that was part of kind of the, the, the tactics of the match and why we were so pressed the entire second half was, like, when was Frank going to make a sub? When's Frank going to make a sub? Eventually he does, but – um, it of course felt like you know the the opportunity had passed for us to really like catch City off guard and, and get put one in the back of the net. Yeah, I found that interesting too. Now that you mention it, because Gray was getting ready. Um, I think uh, you know a little bit after the 60th or around the 60th, right? And the next thing you know, as you said, I think that's around the time when we weren't sure what was up with Alon. And next thing you know, Van de Beek kind of came uh, came off the worst in a challenge. And it looked like he had to change um, decisions and bring on Deli Ali, which, you know, I think we were all hoping maybe he had a bigger impact. But, of course, it's another match in which, uh, you know, City dominated possession. So not too much opportunity for him, unfortunately. Yeah, 68-32 uh, possession in favor of the Citizens. They also had, just a quick run of 13 shots to our six. Uh, most of those in the second half. Eight on target to two on target. 17 aerials, one to R7. We did out-tackle them 21 to 17. Um, and dis- they were we dispossessed them more 17 to 13. So, I mean, you know, all stats that are kind of indicative of, of the match that it was us on the back foot. Off the ball quite a bit, having to pressure. But as you said, I thought some of the pressure, you know, the selective pressure, which is something I really like from Frank Lampard, is like having the team pick their spots to really ramp up the pressure yep. on the opposition. Um, and, and again, the, the first half, like they were pretty horrible. We made city look very pedestrian, but you can only, you can only do that for so long with a side of their quality. And, you know, when they're bringing in Mara's Gabriel Jesus from the bench, like, and we're bringing on Anwar El Ghazi. It's like, what exactly are we supposed <laughs> to do here? Well, and, you know, actually really before, hard. go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, um, before we start, uh, bringing some friends up to, to speak as well, I feel that I have to give a shout out to John Joe Kenny because I think he's been really, really good since he's had to step up um, in recent weeks and today, specifically in the first half, as with um, pretty much all players, I thought he had a really, really good performance. I agree, man. I mean, going up against Phil Foden, who I, we were saying it on the discord, incredibly, incredibly punchable face on that kid. You, <laughs> you, you wonder why he's getting in altercations at nightclubs or whatever. It's like, you, you can't be walking around with a face like that. Um, but obviously an incredibly talented player uh, and for John Joe to be out of position and, and largely keep him contained though. He did get burned a couple times. Uh, I, I really liked the kind of double teams that we were putting 
onto city in the wide areas and denying them some of those spaces that they really like, you know, when they get in the final third, their ball movement, even though there's not a lot of space to exploit, they seem to always be able to find those pockets of space, but in the first half, they weren't, um, they weren't able to do that. So um, again, 45 minutes, 60, 70, 80 minutes of a strong performance isn't enough to get anything from the match for Everton, but I will say, and this may come back to haunt me that, that if we play like that at home the rest of the season, I think it's going to be, really difficult for us to to do the unthinkable and obviously go down which is the the looming fear for all Evertonians around the world um but Alex any final thoughts we do want to get as many people on stage to speak as possible and get the ball rolling here thanks for indulging us in our little pre uh pre back and forth but Alex any final thoughts before we start rolling here nah let's get rolling hey there Rob hello how you doing? I am fuming. Straight yeah. up fuming. Um, <laughs> so the re- the uh, excuse that I heard after the game from the refereeing panel is there wasn't clear enough evidence to overturn the decision and give it as a penalty. What clear evidence do they need? It's not like it's a corner and there's 15 people inside the box and it's all melees. There's no one around him. He's made his body bigger. The player knows exactly what he's doing. At, the, at this time, it, it's just blatant cheating from the FA. They they just want to script it so it's a big title charge and a title race between the top two. And it's the same few teams getting decisions week in, week out. And I'm getting sick and tired of it. Football is dead. It's dead in the bin. And then also, Paul Tierney was also told, oh, you can't, um, you're not allowed to go to the monitor because you haven't you haven't um, asked to come to the monitor. So the VAR told him he can't come can't come because he weren't asked. He weren't told. That's that's like in cricket, a softness signal and like the umpire saying, Oh, can you help me out with the with the catch in the deep? And then turn around saying, No, we can't help you because you've not given us a soft signal. The whole thing's a just complete and utter farce. And the sooner these slice sick clubs f off to their own league, the better because it's just a joke. They're all shitting on the rest of the four scene, and I'm getting tired of it. It's just corruption. Well, you know, the interesting thing about that, Rob, is on the NBC broadcast, or I guess, you know, Peacock, right? Uh, even Tim Howard, they were speculating that it was due to the fact that Richarlison was allegedly offside in the buildup. However, the only camera angle I ever saw was definitely not favorable for him and his positioning. And they never drew the lines, showed a still figure, or anything at all. Yeah, that, so I, I heard that they said it was offline all... to build up. But again, why why weren't we shown the uh, VAR decision of the, the offside? Why is that all kept quiet? Because right. every time what? it's a big VAR call, they seem to show it on the TV, then doing the lines. They didn't even show it once on the TV. The only picture I've seen on Twitter was some weird, fat, black, white line they used. And it wasn't even done from the defender's last point of the offside it was done from his his back hill so the whole thing's a joke right and i thought i thought it was odd as you said that he didn't even go and look at the monitor because usually if there's any question <coughs> then at least they pull him over to go look at it and say hey come check this out see what you think and I, I don't understand why the premier league itself has such a hard time with the implementation of var itself because we see other leagues do it competently um, every week, seriously, every week. Yeah, I'm usually not. I'm usually not 
one to, you know, lean towards the, the conspiracy, but then you have stuff like this happen. And it's like, what is the explanation other than pure corruption? Because it's the most obvious penalty call in the history of penalty calls, uncontested play hits his arm, hits his elbow. And somehow, some way they find an excuse to not give it. And it's as always against us and in the favor of one of the big six. And they always get these and it just, it, it never ends. And, you know, it would have been, you know, I think we deserved more from this game, but it on that specific play when there's no one around and we're not really like threatening to score or anything, it's not off a shot. It would have been kind of hilarious if that's the way we equalize and, and scrape over two point with the point. But, Again, I, I thought it was so obvious. I was waiting for the inevitable call, and then it, it doesn't come. And, and the commentators have to provide this weird explanation, like you said, Rob, where they don't have any – they don't even show the actual replay that supposedly he was offside. Yeah, they, 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 they don't show it because they know they're in the wrong and they know it's fixed. Because nine times out of ten, when it's when – it's, it is, they, they will show it live on TV. They didn't show it because they knew they got it wrong. Like they say, it's not, not enough evidence. I mean – how many cameras do we need in a stadium for you to have enough evidence? I can't understand, like, maybe the player was, like, contested for the ball and, like, he was nudged. There was no one around him. The ball bounced and it spun. Like, he even lets the ball bounce in front of him and he still makes his body bigger unnaturally to control the ball. It's blatant cheating. And he knew it too, right? After he, know, he knew it. He, he could tell by the reaction. If you, if you play and watch football yourself, I've played football myself, and... You can tell when a player like knows he's he's been done. You you can tell the way. Even look at the reaction of Stones behind him. He sticks his arms up like, "What have you done?" Even Stones knew he cocked up. But but aside from that, Rob, I mean the performance overall. I know, I know when calls like this, it kind of takes takes the center stage. But overall, besides that one specific moment, how did you feel about the performance? Oh, the performance was great, minus the. Michael Keane incident, which was just he was he was caught with his weight flat third. That's that's probably a matter of fatigue, where he's just he's just physically can't move his legs. You know, I can imagine if he if that was a twentieth minute, it's probably a bit of a different story. When the eighty second minute, he's been chasing the whole game. I can understand how he's done that. Um, it's just it is poor, but it's understandable. So it, it's gutting in that regard, but. The, the, the forms we we play like that for the rest of the season would be fine. I know the table doesn't look great, but we've got three games in hand against Leeds and four against Brentford. I think we'll be fine. But at this current time, I'm just still fuming. Just fuming. There he is. Hey James. Can you hear us? Hey yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Perfect. How you doing? Uh, I don't really want to harp on the, you know, I'm sure plenty of people will be talking about the offside handball call for a lot. I think the team played real well. Um, a lot of really promising moments, and you saw a little bit of our form start to, or not form, but shape really start to show. Um, and I, credit to Frank and the coaching staff, I think, on getting us to a, better spot with our formation and how we line up and all those things. Um, but just, you know, overall really gutted by the end result. Cause I don't think it was a fair reflection on 
our team's performance today overall. Yeah, and I, I think the stark difference really is, you know, I think what I'm hearing from most fans, or I think most fans can agree, uh, you know, we may have lost, let's say, I think they were commenting three out of four under Frank Lampard. But at the same time, though, it's a stark difference in how we're playing, and it's a lot more enjoyable to watch. And it's funny because Rafa, the only thing he could say is that our, our players were really, you know, bought into how he wants to play, um, which was terrible. But then, you know, you watch them trot out against City today, and the sort of effort, uh, commitment, passion, hashtag spirit that they showed, I think it's uh, it goes without saying for Frank Lampard, which is which is truly something. Yeah, and it's you know kind of typical Everton to you know play to the level of the team that we're playing a lot of the times, and I feel like you know even though City often get the better hand on us when we play them, we always kind of play up, and so it's been a very entertaining game. Um, but the, I actually just saw in the, the Discord, someone put the uh, a tweet from the um, RB Mersey uh, where they uh, were talking about if the offside was the, the reason for the handball um, not being called, um, where would the uh, free kick be given, you know, after the VAR decision for the no penalty? And they gave them the free kick where the handball wasn't instead of where the offside was. So just another you know, kind of weird moment from that one play. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, looking for the, the positives in that, the, a lot of good individual performances and we just kind of ran out of, ran out of steam towards the end, but you know, things to build on going forward and gives me a little bit of hope for the, the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, it's, it just never, you never expect I always expect to lose against City, and then we get to this point, and something ter- we concede a terrible goal, and then I think we're thrown a lifeline. And there's some way, you know, the, the rules are written in such a way that there is definitely some subjectivity to it, but the procedures that are implemented, and like the the, I don't know, the step one, step two, do this, do this, do this. There, there seems to be so little clarity. I mean, the announcers were saying, and everyone was thinking, clear pen. That's a stonewall pen. That's a stonewall pen. And then they give this really weird explanation uh, on showing something that and never show the review process for the offside. And it just feels like you need as much transparency as possible in these situations. And if there isn't transparency, you're going to leave room for that sort of speculation of cheating. And, I, you know, is there some evil mastermind, Dr. Evil sitting in like Premier League headquarters like, oh, well, you know, let's give let's let's brush that aside for man city because we want you know the title race or whatever no but there are obviously it it can be more nuanced than that um i don't know if i'm full team corrupt conspiracy but it's days like this that i'm like well maybe they have a point yeah they they really make it difficult for you exactly um otherwise james i mean certainly takes the spotlight that that play but players that stood out to you today performance wise you thought uh, looked really good um, we obviously had Richarlison leading the line instead of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and I thought he did actually one of his better performances as a striker given you know the job he was asked to do a lot of hold up play stuff that we don't typically see from them um, Anthony Gordon I think was good for 60 minutes or so until he was just clearly very tired we already talked about the midfield a little bit but curious to hear your take yeah, I mean, outside of the the usual, Pickford had a great game. 
you know, Richie was his disruptive self, which was, you know, it was always nice to see when he's causing problems for the defense. Um, but I think I got to go with uh, Ryan's boy, Awobi. I think, I think Awobi, you know, just like until he couldn't, which was, you know, probably the 70, 75th minute was when we started to see him get real tired. But, you know, always running, always chasing down, um, really physical, made a couple of good passes. Um, I think, you know, we're starting to see the the side of Awobi that Ryan's always said was there that we haven't really seen um, or have chosen not to see, depending on which fan you're talking to. But, um, yeah, I would say aside from the usual suspects, Awobi was up there for me today. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, what would be, let's see, today, two dribbles, two successful dribbles out of three, a couple key passes. He's dispossessed three times. The one play that stands out to me was when he ran to, like, all four quadrants of the pitch in the course of a minute, just all out sprinting. Uh, and I think that was kind of the very last moment where after that point you could tell he was, he was definitely fatigued. But certainly a standout for me as well. Uh, James, any final thoughts before we move on to the next speaker? Uh, no, no, just, you know, thanks for putting this all together and keep the podcast going. Love what you guys are doing. Hey, Hi, Richard. Our, so three things to say. I think firstly, the um, what we've seen on Twitter is that the Premier League are now saying that the penalty wasn't given, not because of an offside, and I don't think offsides can be re- re- retrospectively reviewed if they're not in the phase of play that directly leads to a goal anyway. Uh, but because there was a lack of clarity about whether the ball hit him in the right bit of an arm to be a handball. And if, it, if, if that's it, it's an utterly astonishing decision, which I, you know, and I don't want to buy into conspiracy theories either. But, you know, Chris Kavanagh has made four or five absolutely ludicrous decisions against us over the last last couple of, year, couple of years. And really, I think the club were absolutely in order to, uh, you know, contact the Premier League and start asking some really serious questions about whether this guy has an agenda against the club. Second thing... I want to say is, you know, we lost the game because of a really bad mistake by Michael Keane, who I thought other than that was actually pretty good. But it's a story of Keane and Holgate. It's time at the club that they're, they're, they're always prone to make mistakes. We know they lack concentration. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a sorry story, really, of why when we're playing our third and fourth best centre-backs, they're, they're not up to this level. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why we're still although I don't think we're going to go down with performances like that. And, you know, we're clearly a million times better under Lampard than we are under Benitez. You know, we are, we are still, we're still on 22 points at this stage of the season. But the third thing I want to say is much more positive, which is the move to 4-3-3, which lots of people, including, you know, the, your podcast and many others as well, have been calling for for some time, really worked. I thought Alan was outstanding and Decor and Van der Beek were really good as well. I think, you know, it, it's clear, it clearly worked. And against any lesser team than City, we'd have, we'd have got something from that match. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to build around there. But keeping those midfield three fit or integrating Dali Alley into it, I think gives us a lot of confidence that we can, we can get out of this mess the rest of the season and then start to build on it for, for next. But that, but all of us calling for a move to 4-3-3 should feel pretty vindicated this evening. 
Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think uh, on your point about Deli Ali, too, I personally have been really wanting to see a little bit more of him. I mean, I don't think anyone expects him to be a world beater in the next, you know, three months or so at a new team and a new club, um, possibly in a new role or whatever his role may be, because we've seen Frank play him in a couple different roles in the substitute appearances. Um, but I'm hoping that soon we'll see him start a match because I think, you know, with Donnie going down and the big questions between, you know, how do you fit Deli Ali and Donnie in the same, in the same team? And then naturally we saw him switch Deli for, for Donnie on at whatever the 60th, 65th minute. Um, although he played Deli at left wing in a substitute appearance recently. So I'm definitely keen to see how Delhi is used, but I also think that he could turn into a really good player for us. Oh, absolutely. And, and in truth, it's meant to being a short-term problem anyway, because I can't see how we've got the money to sign Van der Beek at the end of the season, even if he wants to wants to come to us. But, the, but, but you know, you're right. I mean, th- there's a lot of hope in the, in the Delhi Alley signing. I think he's potentially an outstanding player. Uh, but we've had potentially other outstanding players disappointed when they've joined us because there hasn't been a kind of tactical consistency in the kind of quality of coaching and the quality of setup that means people down on confidence can thrive. And it's enormously important that, that you know, we hold our nerve over the next few months and start to build that consistency that gives players a platform to start to do well. Yeah, completely agree with with both of you on that. I mean, it was a bit puzzling, and we said as much on the pod of signing both Van de Beek and Ali on deadline day, where they theoretically, you know, don't necessarily fit all that well together. We didn't see that today, obviously, with the sub, but, you know, the the like similar player profile, like for like substitution, I think worked. Uh, I, I, I haven't seen enough from Ali, and, you know, he's basically made cameos at this point. There was obviously the pass to Ronton against Leeds. That was sublime, but, uh, and the takeout of Ederson late on today, which, you know, that is about as committed as you can be just to go in. You, you never really see that level of aggression going in for a, a, a ball. That's obviously very easily gatherable. Um, so kind of a, a funny moment, even though it was off the back of a really discouraging several minutes for Everton, but, yeah, I'm really hopeful that he can continue to like build up his fitness and eventually get that 90 minutes under his belt and, and really see what he can do over the course of an entire match. Um, Richard, really appreciate you coming on and, and speaking. Do you have any any last words, any final thoughts, perhaps a top performer or a moment well, that stood out to you? I, I, I think there's a number of people who are very good today. I thought, I thought Alan was excellent. Decore was made a massive mix. It always makes a massive difference when he was back. I thought Rich Allison was outstanding up front, held, held the ball up really well. Uh, you know, he, he had a decent, he had a decent chance. I think it was about 0.37 xG. I saw, so you know, one in three of those goes in. But it's, uh, you know, and that that would have changed the match. But I thought he he was broadly excellent. Uh, and uh, I, I thought Coleman was pretty good as well, actually. Give it in in clearly no mean feat for a fullback against that City team. So. All in all, I think we're seeing a building of confidence in the players under Lampard. I think they're buying into the system, and it's that in it. And we've got some, comp- and yeah, and we know players like Iwobi who are talented players, but has, whose confidence has been absolutely shattered over the last eighteen months. Do need some of that 
consistency and confidence building, which you get both from good performances and the crowd getting behind them, but also, frankly, from being comfortable in their role in a consistent setup with high quality coaching. And I think we're much more likely to get that now than we've been under the disaster of the Benitez appointment. I mean, you could go ahead, Alex. Sorry, you're going to jump in. No, I just, you know, to your point, uh, totally agree about the fact that we just haven't had a consistent coaching, you know, tactical style and plan. Um, and something we haven't even mentioned yet on the space, we haven't really covered it on the pod, and we're definitely going to do a full-length episode tomorrow on it. But now we have a, a new director of football, formerly of Wolves and New York Red Bulls uh, most recently. Uh, hopefully, with Frank Lampard and then the director of football coming in, we can definitely see a, a more solid long-term plan. Uh, the question is, will he be allowed to do his job? Well, that that, that is the million, million dollar question, isn't it? And, you know, uh, one suspects that international horrific international events may have some bearing on all of that, but it's in, impossible to predict how that plays out, given the level of influence from people who are very high up the in the international sanctions list and whose ability to uh, involve themselves in this may may be uh, somewhat less than it, it was now. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, the, the support, first of all, for, for Mikolenko and Zinchenko um, from all the players and the fans today, I thought was an incredible, uh, you know, just show of support and a really powerful moment. But it's not often that you see geopolitics and, Everton Football Club intersect so so obviously and clearly and I think we're still weeks if not months away from seeing sort of the full extent of the fallout from this these events but I think Alex is right and, and, and Richard you you spoke about it I mean the level of confidence that these players have and, and I think it it almost can be described as simply as you know positive reinforcement from those in charge you know ro- former manager uh, the Red Saboteur as we like to call him um not known for positive reinforcement. There's been a lot of players, former players who've come out and said, you know, even when you have what you think is a good match, he's constantly picking out things you could have done better, picking out things you could have done better. And I think that though good in some respects, when your team is, you know, struggling as much as Everton, sometimes you just need a little bit of backing from the manager and that level of confidence really kind of just builds in the squad and, and you see these players, as you mentioned, Awobi, a lot of these other guys, um, Anthony Gordon has talked about it extensively, just what that does for you as a player when you know you have the manager's backing and he's constantly building you up rather than trying to tear you down. I, 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 absolutely. And I think the yeah, we need this for a while and uh, carrying on that level of consistency and holding our nerve in, in, in a nervy end to the season, hopefully a successful one. But you know, whatever happens is doing what we can to build that consistency, I think, is absolutely critical for the club. All right, next up we have Colton and then we've got Mitch after him. And then anyone else, again, if you're in the audience, you want to come on and speak, love to hear from people. Let's get Colton up here. We've got Alex and Colton, both Steelers fans, uh, on stage. So let's keep it to Everton, guys. Hey, Colton. What is up, guys? Appreciate you for allowing me to jump in here and pretty much voice my frustration. Is this is this something we have to start looking into? So something just came out by Chris Williams um, and said on the potential offside buildup, VAR, no penalty at Everton. They thought after reviewing after the final whistle, they said it looked like a pen. 
how, how does how do you not send him over to the screen to look at? And what had nothing to do with offsides is what it's is what it's looking like. And the fact that all this stuff is coming out after that, you know, VAR saying, you know what, it looks like a pen. What does that do for us? <laughs> this is back-to-back weeks where they haven't gone to the monitor and looked at these pens. Had one last week, and when the game was nil-nil, you come into this game again. I know it was one-nil at the moment, but Everton deserved the point today. They played so well. My goodness gracious! The beginning of the game um, for the Ukrainian internationals. My goodness, that was awesome to see everyone getting behind those two guys, and you saw how much it meant to both of them. So I love that from the. Goodison fans there, and same thing with Man City fans. Love that. But, man, oh, man, how, like, you can't look at me with a straight face and say this, this isn't rigged. Like, you cannot tell any Evertonian that this league is not rigged with this nonsense we've seen from last – it's back-to-back matches. We've seen clear handballs, not called handballs, and they don't even go to the monitor to look at them. It's a joke, man. I mean, it, I pinned – uh, well, someone tweeted me a screenshot of the tweet that you mentioned. I pinned that at the top of the space for people who want to check it out. But yeah, it it just feels like constantly things are that are completely out of our control going against us. And then you have on top of that, which Richard alluded to, like the individual errors. The really one one major individual error on the day that ends up costing us uh, is just so incredibly frustrating because bar those two individual moments i really agree with you colton that we deserved a lot more from that match and you're gonna have a lot of a lot of really angry frustrated evertonians and hopefully the club hierarchy are just as upset about it as we are and they'll start to you know make some noise with the the influencers in the premier league although you know not much has come from it thus far so i'll i'll you know, refrain from being too optimistic there. But Colton, besides besides the frustrating individual moments, uh, who stood out to you today? Who do you think performed well? Um, any other moments of the match that you you know stick vividly in your head? I think Alan. I think Alan was great back there, and that's what's the thing. I think he's playing back there, and we're not seeing. I know we're. I've listened to the space here for a little bit, and everyone's kind of crying for Deli Alley to come in there. And trust me, I, we, we saw the cross you'd mentioned just before uh, to Rondon a few matches ago. The talent's there with him, but Donnie's really good defensively as well. And you saw, I mean, geez, he had a great play also inside the box to get that ball. Because I was probably going in for a goal if he doesn't get his foot on that and kick that out of there. But Allen, I thought Allen was fantastic. My goodness. I hope he's okay. I know it looked like he was battling through something the whole match. So I'm hoping he's okay. We don't see anything. And man, Decore being back. Oh my goodness. I was shocked he went 90. And he was he was booking the whole time. There was no nonstop movement from Decore. I love seeing him out there and I'm excited for the next few weeks. But it's just uh, I don't want to go back to the frustration, but it, it's just there. Like you come out with this stuff after the match. And it's like, what does that do? We're in a relegation battle. We can take any points we can possibly get. And the fact that it's like, oh, sorry, we, you know, we might have messed up on this one. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, Allen, DeCorey were definitely there, and then everyone else. I thought everyone was great, other than Michael Keane at the end, you know, and that's that's hard to say because they did play so good. But Michael Keane there, again, the stinker, and I feel like it's always him. It's just like uh, he's so much bigger than Foden. If you can't get your leg out there, box him out. Like, do a basketball box out and box him out and do not let Phil Foden get there. If you cannot get your leg out, box him out. Let Pickford get on the ball. I thought every single person was great in the match today, to be honest with you. But um, Allen's definitely my guy. 
Yeah, Colton, I just want to touch on your uh, point about Jacore too, because I was definitely surprised at how well he did um, after returning from injury. And I think it definitely comes down to it. And same with Alon, because it's something that we talk about extensively on the podcast, um, you know, in recent months. But Alon was kind of sitting a little bit more, and Ducore was able to play a lot more box-to-box with more freedom and, and get more involved in the attack because we had three bodies in midfield. And kind of the same with Donnie, which I felt like both were kind of maximized in how we were able to use them. Obviously, you know, that's that with the context of the fact that City had a ginormous amount of, of possession. Um, but I think that the role itself and the players that he has around him kind of allowed him to play that well. And so I look forward to, to seeing how consistently he performs that way in the future. I'm just constantly amazed by his energy levels, like especially as the game gets in. You know, when everyone else is dead on their feet, it's like Decore always has that little bit of little bit left in the tank to like. I mean, in the 80th, 70th, 80th minute, he was leading our press from the front and just everywhere constantly. And it's you know it's clear how much we've desperately missed him in recent weeks. That presence in midfield. Um, so hopefully he can stay healthy because I think he honestly, maybe more than anyone else is going to be key to the remainder of our season because his ability to just be in every part of the pitch disrupting, um, especially when, you, you know, a game like this where you call for a lot of movement off the ball, he's your guy um, to kind of piece everything together and definitely a leader as well. Um, you know, everyone's calling out a lawn. I do want to say, did pick up another, maybe a little bit of a silly yellow for the descent on what was a pretty obvious foul, but just nitpicking at that point because otherwise he was truly excellent. Ended with four tackles, 91% pass success, a key pass, a couple dribbles. I mean, his ability to escape pressure too was was incredible. Decore, two tackles, one in aerial, a couple dispossessions, um, 82% pass completion, one key pass. And just, yeah, all-around critical performance from the midfield. But, Colton, before we let you go, before we move on to Mitch, uh, any final words for all the people out there listening? They're going to have to have a huge march. That's I know you guys mentioned it. Um, I said in the comments following the last match we had and that ended up on the podcast. But, man, they have to have a huge march. When you look at their march, there are some games they need to win. And to be fair, they can beat Tottenham. You saw they played against the best team in Europe today. Like, they did. Like, this, the way Man City has been playing as of late, and the last week they lost, I expected Everton to get shellacked today. I was expecting a 3-0 loss. Man City needed the points with Liverpool coming back in the mix. And Everton were there. You know, they, they deserved the point. Honestly, had moments to win the game. Richie had multiple shots. But um, for me, it, I just want to see somewhat of this in the away form. If you can get some of this in the away form, we don't have to worry about being relegated because – the way they played today against, again, like I said, the best team in Europe, they're going to stay up, especially with what's going on with Leeds, Brentford, and the rest of those teams. But up to Toffees, appreciate you guys having me on. All right, there we go. Can you hear me now? Hey, Mitch. Yeah, I can hear you now. How are you hey, doing? great. Uh, first time on the space. I've been a relatively recent joiner of the community, but I just want to highlight that I Love what you guys are doing because it's been uh, very good for my mental health to have uh, other toffees to talk to through uh, thick and thin, especially thin recently. But uh, I just have a, a comment on the, the decision, a comment on the match, and then I'd like to talk about the team overall and kind of kick that more over to you guys for your thoughts. My comment on the decision today would be just, um, I think we've beat that horse enough, but I would look back to last weekend and the contrast between the decision for City 
in stoppage time for them to get a handball penalty. Uh, contrasting, obviously, with what you guys will remember, the uh, no call for Everton um, in pretty similar situation. I haven't analyzed them side by side, but just uh, if the Premier League is looking to avoid the appearance of impropriety, they're they're screwing that up pretty badly. I mean, come on, what what are you doing as a whole? Um, we'll love to be a fly on the wall when it's just the referees in the room together. I wonder if there's any real recognition there of the inconsistency, but we'll never be there and uh, we'll never hear any earnest uh, admission of guilt there anyhow. So just a frustration. We won't beat that horse anymore. Uh, as far as the match, I don't know if any Everton player had a perfect game by any means, but together as a squad, we just frustrated, um, like Colton kind of alluded to, one of the best teams in Europe, um, certainly the favorite for the title still this year. And uh, we frustrated him for 90 minutes and gifted him a goal. So that's pretty impressive. We especially took it to him in the first half. I will withhold judgment on whether it was uh, mentality or just tiredness uh, that kind of ate at Everton in the second half, but pretty impressive overall performance regardless. Um, I want to talk about the midfield, though. Talking about the team, um, ad nauseum, we have talked about the midfield We've uh, for months and months and months. Supporters have said, why are we playing two? Uh, we finally got three in the midfield today. We've also talked, at least in the Discord recently, about uh, not having a true six, not having a true ball winner, a defensive midfielder who can hold us together and allow the rest of the midfield to get forward. And yet, today we played what maybe some would say is our preferred three-man midfield for the first time. Uh, we've got Van de Beek out there, uh, along with Alan and Decore, who are a little more comfortable with each other. And that was an impressive defensive display, again, against a team who is very fluid in the midfield, very um, dominant in most of their matches. And again, we, uh, we frustrated them for 90 minutes and just kind of gifted them a goal. So I, was, I would be curious uh, if today's game changes your guys' thoughts or assessments at all of our midfield options, of their ability to actually defend uh, competently in the right pairings. And I would highlight that Frank Lampard up to this point has suffered from a small sample size as far as understanding what this team is capable of, especially implementing his instructions. But what do you guys think about uh, the potential that we have to improve just by changing our setup and adapting to the games properly now that Lampard has some players back and knows what they're capable of? Go ahead, Alex. You want to take a stab at that? Yeah, I mean, I I will say, you know, something I noticed throughout the match with the three-man midfield and in terms of defending was, um, you know, I saw Van de Beek a couple times, like, man-marking, just following Kevin De Bruyne in that half space. And I noticed, you know, the reason why he was able to do that was because Gordon and then obviously on the opposite side of Wobi were tracking back well enough and pinching in to where we had more numbers kind of on the outside. So in reality, and this is just, um, you know, what I, what I thought I perceived, it allowed the central midfielders to kind of defend in the middle as opposed to always being stretched so much. I mean, obviously, at some points, you know, then you saw them charge out kind of vertically for, for a press and that sort of thing. But I thought that really, um, I thought that helped us a lot. You know, I think that also kind of led or lent itself to the fact that, you know, the commentators mentioned, sometimes we would get the ball forward, Awobi, Gordon, whoever, Richarlison, and they had no one even near them. And, and you know, that's also a, a byproduct of defending in that way, which... I mean, you know, is, is to be expected because we're not we're not just going to we're not going to uh, essentially leave a bunch of space 
had a bunch of gaps and, and only have eight players behind the ball against Manchester City. Um, but, you know, to your question, I feel like it's very, very promising, especially when we see that, that midfield three for the first time um, against a team like City and the, they performed the way that they did. I thought they were good defending. I thought they were good in transition in general, holding the ball. Um, no, I haven't peeped the stats for, for holding the ball specifically, but I'll, I'll say that as, as my eye test. Um, and I also thought moving forward, they were pretty good too. Um, so overall, I think the midfield gets, gets uh, an A from me in terms of what we could have expected when City holds the ball um, the majority of the time. Yeah, just just off the back of that, I mean, I think one of the most encouraging things for me from Lampard so far. I mean, we've hit on <clears throat> we've hit on a lot of them so far. <clears throat> the the change in I think attitude of the players and the the positive feel that he's brought to the club as a whole, but also some of that tactical flexibility. Like one of the things that we praised Carlo Ancelotti for was his ability to go with maybe unconventional lineups or shapes depending on the match and really use the tactical flexibility to our advantage. I think really today, based on what I watched, the game plan was let's be very compact defensively, try to get a goal in the first half, maybe take the lead and then and then sit on it. When we didn't get the goal in the first half, despite the couple chances that we had, I, I really – it felt like we were more or less playing for a draw. First half, it really felt like we were going for it. Second half, you could tell – um, even towards the you know forty fortieth minute onward, you could tell like the players were very tired, and the level of energy that we saw in the opening spell of the match was really diminished. Um, Anthony Gordon, you know, these guys just had to run their socks off to to put that level of pressure high on City, and it's not it's just not easy to go toe to toe with them for for a full ninety minutes. So I, I don't. I'm not upset about the fact that we, you know, try to be a little more conservative. I just am a little frustrated because it feels like when you do that, you're just hoping to get lucky because City are eventually going to break you down and score because they're so effective. Pep systems of breaking teams down in the final third and drawing players out and getting them out of position. You can only fight that for so long. But yeah, I mean, Mitch, I think you make some really good points about Finally, we saw the three-man midfield. Many others have said it was felt very vindicating to see. Um, but something that we just – we saw finally. We've been calling for all season under the Red Saboteur, and he never seemed to um, be interested in, in utilizing that formation. But I also think it does have a little bit to do with the personnel that it, he has available, and hopefully we can keep these guys healthy because, you know, yes, Van de Beek, Alain, Decore, and maybe Ali as a, as a fourth option um, – is, is a good midfield, but the depth is still concerning. You know, Andre Gomez, if you, if you put Andre Gomez in that midfield today, is the three-man midfield as effective? I personally don't think so, unless Andre has another one of his. Uh, you know, he's just so inconsistent, as the Athletic uh, pointed out in an article this week. So, you know, with our best with our best midfield out there, it can be a real problem for other teams. Um, even with the back line, you know, we're still playing Mason Holgate and John Joe Kenny. John Joe Kenny at left back, so... Again, if we had our best 11 out there today, I think we even might get all three points. But the, the pragmatism from Lampard, as well as the tactical flexibility, both really positive. Um, I know that was a little bit of a rant, but Mitch, any any thoughts to respond to that or any other comments on the match today? Yeah, I mean, just I love it. I'm all about it. Uh, call it uh, hair of optimism on an otherwise depressing day, perhaps, but just 
seeing that we can kind of pack the midfield with our best three midfielders. And even if the individual roles that those players are maybe best suited to don't lend themselves to the ideal setup there, if we can band-aid that together for the rest of the season with some midfield skill and kind of some complementary um, attributes that allow us to, to sneak through here and have uh, a midfield that can stack up against the very best in terms of city. Let's keep in mind that uh, Kevin De Bruyne is one of the best attacking midfielders in the world, if not the best, um, even if he's a little out of form and after some injuries, he plays in a three-man midfield right now and he's able to get forward and contribute to City's attack like crazy. So it doesn't seem unreasonable to expect our uh, more talented attacking talents, um, getting a little more of DeCorey's late runs into the box, a little more of Allen's uh, link-up play, box-to-box. Uh, obviously, Van de Beek has a lot to offer uh, in those situations. So uh, it's, like you said, vindicating. And uh, it, I would say, cause for optimism for sure uh, after today. So really a nice takeaway, a nice ray of sunshine into the otherwise dismal refereeing that we were subjected to today. All right, we've got Blue Nose uh, 1878, who's been waiting for a while. Then we'll get Dylan up uh, regular on these spaces, hear what he has to say. And then again, if anyone else wants to come on, we'll probably get one more person up before we wrap things for the afternoon, let's get Blue Nose 1878 in here. And I did just, I pinned the tweet to the space, but I want to read it out for those who will be listening later. Uh, Frank Lampard following the match, coming out with some very strong comments, uh, I think embodies a lot of what Evertonians are feeling. He said, we've, well, he said, there's no doubt, there's no probably to it regarding the penalty. He said, we've lost a point when we're fighting for our lives through a professional who can't do their job right. It's incompetence to get it wrong. Uh, really love to see Frank putting the referees on blast there. Uh, and with that, we're just waiting on Blue Nose to connect here. We'd love to get his thoughts on Lampard's comments and then the match as a whole. Well, James, I've got some comments on it real quick while we're uh, Please. waiting for him yeah. to connect. I've just got to say, uh, you know, instant reaction to hearing or I guess reading a response like that from Frank Lampard is it feels really nice that we've got an Everton manager that seems like he's going to tell it how it is. Um, there's no doubt that he's going to pay, literally pay, for that comment. But someone's got to say it, and I think uh, shine a light on it. And, you know, I don't think there's, you know, people people talk about um, how referees are treated, I guess, um, in, in many different ways. But, like, there's no other avenue in order to really put scrutiny because, you know, obviously handling it internally, the FA have not fixed the problems. And so I think that, you know, at this point in time, it just public pressure has to continue to ramp up. And and so it seems like a good, strong response from Frank Lampard. Um, and it's a lot better than, you know, maybe tiptoeing around it uh, or saying, you know, oh, well, I couldn't see every angle because there are other managers in the past that maybe would have uh, responded in that way. It's an incredibly hard job to referee at any level, much less the you know top, top. But that doesn't excuse these repeated horrible missed calls and it's as you said it's great to have frank calling it like it is all right we've got blue nose up here now blue nose 1878 how you doing hey i'm good thanks um i'm just in the car on the way back from goodison so if uh if it cuts out apologies but um look i think i, I missed maybe what you're talking about lampard on the bar decision and obviously um you know the, the gladys street where i see it was was incensed today with that decision i think you know the 
Um, I see Lampard's come out and obviously said that it's uh, his three-year-old daughter could have made a... You could see that was a handball, which I think is interesting. I think I, I, I sort of... It cut out, so I'm not sure if you were talking about that. But, yeah, look, I think I think overall, though, could I just say, like, obviously, um, massive shout-out to all the American fans because, you know, your dedication and following our club is, I think, it's amazing from someone who obviously um, lives near, near the ground. But, um, you know, I think I've listened to the... American Toffee podcast for years and um, yeah obviously what you guys do is brilliant so so look I think what I would say on atmosphere today was um, it was good really good but I think if I compare it to Leeds um, I think I think the crowd was a little bit apprehensive maybe just because it's Man City and obviously in the Leeds game we were absolutely on top of Leeds in terms of the crowd playing their part but um, yeah I think I think obviously in the first half we, we, we shook City but in the second half you could see that Obviously, City took hold of the game. Um, so, so, and then I think the other points I just wanted to make was around, um, you know, the Iwobi sub. The Iwobi sub should have come probably about ten, fifteen minutes earlier because you can see he was um, he was gassed. But I also just want to touch on Keane. I think you know, Michael Keane. There's too many times over the past four years that we've talked about Michael Keane making errors. And um, I remember actually when when Lukaku played against Keane the year before we bought. Keen, and if you remember when he played for Burnley, Lukaku absolutely skinned him. And I said when we bought him that I wasn't convinced. And you know, here we are, four or five years later, and uh, you know, it's a poor It's a poor reflection, really, on Marcel Brands and the club not not making the right decisions at centre back. Because you look at his, you know, he's a 28 year old lad, way too fragile mentally, and and you know, he needs to, you know, really show much better quality at centre back. And I think that's a big big challenge for us in the summer is. You know, we need more consistent cover for Mina, but we also need a, a replacement for Keane. So, look, guys, I think, you know, I'll just end on saying, you know, the, you know, the, the board um, obviously now needs to try and... Uh, sorry, the board, the, uh, we've got obviously Spurs up next, and I think, you know, we need to try and keep our fingers crossed to see if we can get a result away. But that, that week when we play um, Watford and uh, Newcastle and, and obviously Burnley, that, that is a massive week in our season. Um, so yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully we'll, we'll be okay. Yeah, really. Pre- first of all, appreciate you um, listening to the pod and appreciate the, the very kind comments. Uh, really great to hear, you know, your perspective. I'm just going to mute you real quick. Um, great to hear a pers- the perspective of a fan who was there because you know you, sometimes you can kind of get a feel for it. Like against Leeds, you could tell Goodison was rocking, but sometimes it can be hard to tell uh, through the the broadcast because they mute the, the fan noise, but it did feel like, and I tweeted it at halftime that, you know, they were there for the taking and it felt like, you know, the, the fans really did have potentially a, a big role to play in, in pushing the team on, especially when they're getting very fatigued. And it just felt like there wasn't any particular moment until we conceded. And then the, the missed handball call, then the crowd were finally up for it. And at that point it just felt like a, a little too, too late to really you know get anything from the game but you know i know obviously everton unbelievable support globally locally all of the above but i just part of me thinks like if the fans can really somehow maintain a certain level of atmosphere throughout the 90 minutes it makes things so much more difficult as dan james pointed out for leads following the match like when the fans get behind the team it totally changes the dynamics of the match and that only goes so far against a team like City, but it did feel like, you know, going to halftime nil-nil, maybe the crowd can spur the team on. 
for our results. Um, but I, I also agree with the points, I think, on Michael Keane. I think in some ways he's a little bit of a victim of the fact that, you know, he has been one of the few mid uh, defense defenders who's been consistently fit, especially this season. I think he's played basically every single match for us. And so just by the fact that he's always there, he's more subject to errors. And he does have good games every now and then, but you're right. The individual errors, especially to start the season and then today, um, they, they just loom large in the memory and it makes you think, you know, he, he really isn't a fit for the style of play that I think Frank, Frank Lampard wants to implement, right? I mean, he does have decent passing range, but he's really never struck me as a player who's super confident on the ball. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a key position to build on for the summer. And depending on what happens with Yeri Mina, I mean, if he can get fit, and I think that's when Keane looks his best alongside Yeri Mina. When when he's with any other partner, he just looks far too inconsistent for me. And I agree with with your comments there. Yeah, well, I think no, but... I think that's the hard part too, right? Because all all of the all of our center backs look best paired with Yeri Mina. The team in general looks way better with Yeri Mina, but Yeri Mina is earning a hundred k a week and is only ever fit half the time. And then you know we talk about how Keane and Holgate may be not good enough. But wait, we, we still have plenty of other positions that we we as a fan base want to address in the summer. And so I think it's uh, – I think center back is, is, is starting to turn into something that we need to address sooner rather than later, especially with more uh, of, of an expansive play style now with Frank. Yeah, I think I think like you say, we we need we need to – I think my personal opinion, we need two center backs in the summer because Holgate – you know, he's been okay recently, but, you know, he's, his consistency has been poor as well. And I think, yeah, that's definitely a point for us. Just back to your point in the crowd, when they scored, the crowd reacted because we played well and because, obviously, then we felt like we should have got something out of the game. So the crowd were then on, on top of the players and backing the players to try and get back in the match. And, obviously, that's when the bar, the bar incident happened. But, but I, think, I think I just come back to that point is that at home to Leeds, all the crowd... Are on top of top of the players and on top of um, the Leeds players because we should be beating those teams at home. I think the, the today was just a little bit reflective of maybe you know the the atmosphere was really good, but I think nowhere near what it was at Leeds because it's just that little apprehension in, in you know the fans' mind around the fact that this is Man City and you know it's a tough game. Eh? Yeah, no, no doubt, and I think that's that's definitely a, a fair perspective and point. Um, it's never easy when I think myself. Many others have said, like, you, you don't expect to win these matches. But then I just think, like, you go in nil-nil. It's all to play for in the second half. And I, I think the fans had a role to play. And, um, it, but it is tough. I, I totally get that. Um, and, and, again, really appreciate you your perspective. It's always great to hear from, from match-going fans to get the feel for what it was like inside the ground. Obviously a disappointing day. But uh, we go again against Spurs, as you said, and then those three matches against teams right – they're in the thick of it in the relegation fight with us uh, are going to be massive. And we could be coming out of that. I mean, we come out of that with nine points. We're sitting pretty, but it could go, you know, basically one of two ways. Hey there, Dylan. Can you hey, guys, me? can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. How's it man. going? Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time and having me on. Um, of course. I, I don't want to, you know, repeat what a lot of people have already said, but I just have a lot of thoughts. And, um, the, you know, first of all, I don't know if you've watched the Lampard uh, press conference clip just because you guys have been hosting this, but not only did he say what, what's already been read and said, but he, he, he specifically called out Chris Kavanaugh, who was handling VAR, and said it's totally uh, Chris's fault. Uh, he, he's not blaming the referee for not seeing the handball 
initially because he might have been on the other side of the of the pitch. But uh, what 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 has me scratching my head is not only did they not give the penalty, but they didn't even have uh, the referee go and, and and check and go to the monitor and look have a look himself. They also then initially claimed it was offside, and I assume Richarlison, right? But then the, you see the replay; he's he's right on line with the final defender. Now they've come out after the game and said that it, there wasn't enough conclusive evidence to call it a handball and that it wasn't offside. There's just so many questions with this. And I know someone earlier had said the word rigged, and I do feel the word rigged is, is, is a little bit of a loaded word there. But it's start, it's really you know it's really hard to to defend. Uh, VAR and the referees and not say that things are certainly controlled. And uh, I I hate to even say it, but that's just what it appears to be. The fact that we don't get a penalty last week, we don't get a penalty today, yet any time any of those decisions happen to be for City or Liverpool, they're automatically given without hesitation. Uh, City gets a penalty last week against Spurs, and Liverpool somehow had two penalties in the first 35 minutes against Leeds in midweek. There's, it's clear there's one set of rules for City and Liverpool, and if you want to throw in United and Chelsea in there, that's fine, and a different set of rules and decisions for the rest of us. And that's just the case, and it's very, very sad. Now, as far as the performance, I thought the first half was great. There were some things we had to work out, uh, and, and there were some times where there was some apprehension and some nervousness, but I thought we played a great first half. I thought Alain was tremendous. I thought Gordon had a good first half. I thought the second half, obviously, we're getting tired. We should have probably uh, made a couple of substitutions earlier on than I thought. I thought the, the first sub came what, around 70, maybe even a little later, 72, 73. thought it should have been a little earlier. I thought Iwobi uh, uh, played very well in the second half. I thought Richarlison did a good job uh, with his responsibilities, holding the line, holding the ball. And uh, it's a shame that, 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 that it was Keane that makes that error because I did think he played well in the first 80 minutes. Now, we did have problems clearing the ball. We would play good def- good defensively, but we, when we need to clear, uh, there, it was just never long enough, and, and, and the city just kept coming and kept coming. You could tell. It just felt like there was going to be a goal somewhere, and it's unfortunate that it was for them. Um, but it, it is what it is. We should have had a point. Clear, clearly should have gotten a point out of that game, and, uh, you know, we don't. Uh, I know I'm kind of rambling here. I will say, though, going into the game, I expected us to probably lose, but I said to myself, even if we lost 2-0, two, 1-0, two you know, whatever, as long as we showed heart, aggression, passion, played well, I would be content with it because we're not expected to beat City anyway. So, uh, but the way we lost this one is just a, a, an absolute gut punch. Um, luckily, Brentford uh, again have lost. Uh, Burnley gets a point today. Uh, Leeds lose again. We now have three games at hand on Brentford trailing two points i still don't think we go down but it's certainly um a little more a little more nerve-wracking after not getting that uh, crucial point today yeah definitely agree with all that dylan i think what did you say it's a gut punch leaves a really bad taste in the mouth uh if we had somehow managed to scrape by with a nil nil i think every fan would have been absolutely thrilled um but still I, i do think it's great uh the level you know positivity coming out of it even though there's the calls for it being rigged. And, and it's again, it's awesome that we have a manager who is, and I pinned another tweet, really like leaning into the conspiracy talk or just maybe just gross incompetence. Um, but he, he leaves the door open. He says, um, 
it's incompetence at best, at worst, who knows? And as a player who obviously uh, played for Chelsea, Chelsea legend, you know, he probably has benefited been on the right side of sort of the perceived biases more often than not. So he would know better than anyone else maybe about kind of the, the BS that goes on behind the scenes. But as Alex said, he'll certainly be fine for that. It's the classic Josie Mourinho. Uh, if I speak, I am in trouble. Well, Frank spoke. He will probably be in trouble for that one. Um, but I think all fans will back him and, you know, let's get a GoFundMe going to, you know, pay Frank's fine. <laughs> Obviously not, but he can afford it. That's the nice thing. You know, yeah, he's exactly. a very wealthy man. So it's just pocket change to him. Well, I think it's when you when you look at some of the decisions that are not given to Everton and, and to other teams in our situation, and then some of the decisions that are given to City and Liverpool, you know, a, a lot of the times the the, the the video, what we're seeing is, is very similar. Uh, it's either a handball, an offside, was there a foul before the before goal? Uh, the ve- very similar situations. Yet for some reason, uh, the top two teams seem to benefit far more often than uh, – than teams like Everton, and I just don't understand you know why that is. I mean, I guess I do understand why, but it, it is just egregious and and uh, needs to be stopped. And it's it's just it's just insanity, really. But we have to keep going. We have to push on. And I did think the performance itself uh, for the first eighty minutes was was great. I mean, we obviously did get uh, exhausted at the end there, and I did think we needed to make some earlier substitutions. But you know, things were going well, so why you know. I don't know. It just, it's, it's just a shame. It's just a shame, really. But what, what can we do except move on, move forward? Yeah, Dylan, and, and um, before we wrap, I wanted to, you know, hit on one of your points earlier. You talked about how you feel like we're not necessarily going to be relegated based on, you know, games in hand and, and teams around us. Um, the only thought I have on it is really it's going to be interesting to see how Frank Lampard deals with rotation of the squad. Um, how he decides when to use certain players. Um, you know, we talked about it on the pod uh, for the cut match versus saving players for, you know, the first league match. I think it was against Newcastle. Um, now we're getting, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is, we thought, building up to full fitness. And, and yet again, now he's injured for another 10 days, allegedly. Right. Damari Gray's coming back. Um, Deli Ali apparently can't get match fit yet. So we've got a lot of key players, you know, maybe Mina. When is Mina coming back? Because he's going to be huge for the rest of the season too, um, depending on when we can get him reintegrated. So I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how, you know, Frank handles the squad, um, fitness issues and rotation and, and which games he picks and chooses. Because, you know, we have Boromwood coming up soon. And that, you know, on paper should be a very, very good opportunity to build some confidence and, and get into the next round of a cup. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm hoping. I'm hoping for the Bournemouth game. We can see guys like Patterson, uh, you know, uh, Mikalenko if, if 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 he's able, if he if he's ready. Um, but certainly, I'd love to see Patterson play play in midweek. Um, and uh, but yeah, I, you know, it, it, I guess the squad rotation will be interesting. I just I just find that uh, with the games in hand that we have, which I believe are are Newcastle, uh, Leicester, and Burnley, that we would be able to find enough points there. Uh, and the rest of the season to just to, to find a way to stay up. I think Brentford and Leeds are an absolute free fall. I know we obviously have our, our issues, but I think if, if you look at the teams, the three teams below us right now, and then Brentford and Leeds who have played a couple more games than us, I just don't see, you know, maybe it's just, you know, uh, naivety, but I just don't see how we'd end up in the, in the bottom three, but that's just me. 
No, I think you're right, Dylan. And I think, you know, I'm glad that this loss and, you know, anytime we lose to City, we've done plenty of, Alex and I and Ryan have done plenty of pods following losses to Manchester City over the last few years. It's nothing new to us. But it, it's never quite as demoralizing as a loss to a Southampton. Um, and it's good to see that, you know, the, the larger fan base seems to be maintaining that level of optimism. What I'd say is, like, there's no doubt in my mind that we shouldn't get relegated. We're better than our current league position. We're better than most of the teams around us, in my humble opinion. But it does feel like this season that you know, we shouldn't be in this position in the first place. We're here because of the underperformance overall. So it's not inconceivable to me that we could continue to underperform. That said, I do think Lampard has us trending in the right direction in that, you know, it's just going to take a few big home wins and we really just need to get a couple away wins um, to, to set things right and really make ourselves comfortable. And we can get ourselves comfortable with a few weeks to go. I mean, you know, as you know, Nathan Patterson, still the, uh, the, mystery man that everyone's dying to see the guy we spent a decent chunk of change on and it's yet to make an appearance for us. So Borum would, I think if he, I mean, I'd almost guarantee he starts that match because he's been on the bench so much and really excited to see what he can bring to the side and Mikulenko. I mean, John Joe Kenny has been a great stand in as many have called out, including Alex on this uh, space, but John Joe Kenny, certainly not the long-term option or, you know, Example being the left-footed shot that he was forced to take uh, his weak foot. And you think maybe Mikolenko or a left-footed player would be better positioned to bury that, put that in the back of the net. Um, but Dylan, any final thoughts on the match? Uh, I think we are going to wrap after you so you can take us home and uh, give us the final uh, verdict. Well, uh, maybe not as far as the match, but just moving forward, I think you know at least we have plenty of opportunity, right? Okay, we still have to play Newcastle at home. We still have... You know, that's a six-pointer, obviously. Six-pointers against Burnley, Watford. We still have to have Palace at home. We still have two games against Leicester. There's plenty of opportunity to find points and be able to stay up, and we just have to get it done uh, no matter the cost. So let's find a way. I think we will, and uh, hopefully we can just destroy Wood and we get a good quarterfinal draw, and, and we'll just get closer and closer to Wembley if possible. That's it, but thanks for the opportunity. So I think that's going to do it for us on this. Alex, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I think it's good to maybe like look ahead, thoughts on the remainder of the season. I guess, do you echo everyone else's opinions that feeling pretty comfortable about our prospects of safety? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, it was a lot of fun doing the space with everyone. Always, It was, uh, it was for once, I think, uh, a pretty enjoyable post-match, um, you know, for a loss specifically. But... Uh, yeah, I've had a good time. I think for the future itself, for Everton, I mean, the upcoming season, as I said, you know, a couple of minutes ago, I think the biggest thing, the biggest question mark is just going to be, can we get some of these starters back fit and healthy, but consistently available? You know, as we, as you mentioned, you know, like Michael Keane, right? Um, those are going to be very, very important players for us uh, moving forward. Um, I also think that this, the signs that we're showing as a club, as a team, uh, since Frank Lampard came in, is is very positive. I'm enjoying watching uh, the the style of play that we're playing currently. I think it's it's better than the majority of football we've seen for um, a couple of years. Even though it's you know we're obviously still building into it, still learning the structure. You know we're still going to need to find some some players that are a bit better fit for the tactics and 
and and the way that we want to build up and and possess the ball a little bit more. Um, but I think that we're you know we're definitely moving in the right direction. I think uh, it shows that our backroom staff are are doing a really good job. Like we kind of mentioned when they when they first came in, um, and I'm excited to see how we progress. I don't think there's uh, any any huge chance at all that that we get relegated, James. Love the optimism, buddy, and appreciate firstly everyone who's listened in and everyone who came on to speak. I was great hearing from people and really enjoyed doing these spaces. Like I said, we are going to release this as a podcast, but it's also being recorded on Twitter. If you missed some of it and want to go back and listen, uh, just the obligatory plugs before we end things. If you would do us a massive favor and follow the American Toffee Podcast account at USA Toffee Pod, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Follow Alex and I, follow Ryan. Um, You can find the link to the podcast in my bio, in the podcast account bio, Uh, all of the platforms that it's available on. Again, really appreciate the support from everyone, everyone who tunes in and spends time listening to us. You're all the best. American Toffees and Global Toffees are truly dedicated and amazing fans. Uh, We will be releasing an episode in the next couple days on uh, doing a deep dive on the new director of football. So stay tuned for that. It should be a really fun one and interesting to uh, look at you know his professional history and what he might bring to the club in terms of structure. As we said earlier in the space, the million-dollar question is, will he be allowed to do his job? And we will explore that and many other things. But that's going to do it for us today. Until next time, up the toffees.